We're here with our 43rd episode of Fear Frequency. For our new listeners, it's a weekly horror podcast where we round up the latest horror news and review a movie or two. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. And I'm George Fazard. And if you're a new listener, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a review over on iTunes. And remember, you can always send us an email at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com and we'll read your message on the show. So this week, we are coming at you live from Haddonfield, Illinois. We have some news stories about a new Suspiria trailer, updates on scary stories to tell in the dark, Resident Evil 2 remake, and a discussion on Halloween 6's two versions. But before we get into that, I'm getting an incoming transmission from Haddonfield, and it sounds like our friend Dr. Sam Loomis is dying again, which means we have a Halloween alert. That poor man. He does it every week. <laughs> it felt kind of right to talk about Halloween 6, finally, <laughs> since we've been capitalizing off of Donald Pleasance's voice for almost a year now. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing here on the Halloween alert is that Salem Horror Fest is coming up in this October, and it turns out that the opening movie of the festival is going to be Halloween. And somehow, the tickets hadn't sold out yet when we found out about this, so it turns out that George and I are both going to the October 4th screening of Halloween in Salem, Massachusetts. Which, which really just kind of came together. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy that, what, it was at like 3 today? You text me and you were just like, hey, uh, just so you know, it's $15 to see Halloween like two weeks early in Salem. And you should go because Salem's <laughs> super awesome. I was just there. Yeah. So <laughs> it's weird that like it all just kind of came together like that. Well, all the credit I have to give to my friend Alex over at Broke Horror Fan, he facebook messaged me and was like hey just so you know halloween's premiering at salem horror fest and i was like damn i should just buy a ticket because yeah in case i can figure that out and he was like oh the tickets have been for sale for like three days here here's the link you can just buy one so i was like okay it felt like like a scam like (laughs) it's just like too easy like i can't believe that they didn't sell out instantly it's not as early as tiff but the process for buying tickets for tiff is just insanely dumb like i I, have, I don't know how to buy tickets for TIFF, <laughs> and it's not Fantastic Fest, which, like, that's a little later. It's Fantastic Fest is only a few days before the Salem Horror Fest, but neither of those are Salem, Massachusetts in the fall, dude. Right. That's going to be amazing. I am so excited, especially after going there. Oh, my God. I, I Honestly, I can't believe I'm already going back this <laughs> soon, but it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm incredibly stoked. Um seems like you said the perfect setting for this movie to see it in a midwestern witch town to see oh my god see halloween see michael myers return to the old sam hain oh man I, it's gonna shut be good. up <laughs> fucking sam hain <laughs> i hate you so much <laughs> it's it is the halloween six episode i guess <laughs> i will be bringing my mask though i will and uh you you can bet your ass we will do an episode of fear frequency right after we watch that movie yeah, definitely going to have to do a first impressions. It'll probably be a, just entirely dedicated to the movie. Yeah, and I'm thinking about uh, figuring out some way to do a fan meetup for Fear Frequency listeners and viewers of my YouTube channel, which I feel like the Venn diagram has a pretty big crossover in. <laughs> so we will figure that out for sure if there is demand for it. So make sure you let us know if you want that to happen. But uh, I'm pretty sure the tickets are still available now. So if you want to go, uh, get on that. That's pretty cheap and seems like it's going to be a good time. Yeah, I'm extremely excited for it. I didn't think there was any chance I'd be seeing this movie early, so... I mean, there's there's no guarantees. I know I'm on Universal's radar, at least, just because I figured out who the people were finally working on this movie at Universal. Uh-huh. And got on their distro, which was nice. I don't know. I've been covering this movie for a year, and I wasn't even sure if I'd get an early screening. So it's good to know that I will get one regardless. 
of whether or not <laughs> Universal decides to invite me to one, which right. is a good feeling. You know, it's like I can breathe out because I was pretty worried. Yeah. Um, even funnier is when I was going through the doc for this week and I was like trying to think of what Halloween news to, there was to cover. I was like, damn, I wish there was a way to look up all the Halloween news from the past week. And then I was like, oh, shit. I just went to my channel and watched the video I put up last (laughs) Thursday. So the next thing on here is that Birth Movies Death has a Halloween issue of their magazine coming out. And it has some pretty cool stuff in it other than the awesome uh, cover. So there's an exclusive interview with John Carpenter and David Gordon Green. There's an exclusive interview with Jamie Lee Curtis. An investigation into the Halloween Atari game. Which if you've seen the you know Monster Madness or Angry Video Game Nerd on that. You know that that's not a good game. <laughs> there's character essays on Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis. And then there's a deep dive into the many many ripoffs that followed in the wake of Halloween success, a look at the cinematography of the legendary Dean Cundey, and a giant spread showing Mondo's greatest Halloween posters. So, I don't know, dude, it's 10 bucks. Yeah. I, I already bought mine. Yeah, I mean, it completely seems like a no-brainer to me, especially. Yeah. It just seems like it'll be something that'll be cool to have in the future. And it'll be interesting to see some of these interviews and see kind of um, maybe they'll have some uh, foreshadowing as to what's in the new movie or it'll just be cool to yeah. see kind of, you know, in retrospect what Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter and David Gordon Green all have to say about, you know, this classic movie with a bunch of sweet stuff like the posters and even the Atari game, which is pretty uh a bit of a deep cut, but it'll be interesting to see. It is a deep cut. What, what it's a, a very deep cut. <laughs> interesting to see what they have to even say about that. I'm curious what they'll have new to say because I've read every single interview that's related to this movie because <laughs> I'm insane. <laughs> and they say a lot of the same stuff over and over again. So hopefully, uh, since this is coming out so close to the actual movie, that means that they have something they need to hold back. Right. Maybe they'll have a, a little something juicier. Yeah, but I like uh, Birth Movies Death a lot. They wrote up my Neckbeard trailer, which was really cool of them, and they said a lot of nice things about it. So I felt only right to give them my $10. Yeah, I mean, at 10 bucks, it seems like a complete no-brainer. If you can't <laughs> uh, if you can't spend 10 bucks on it, I mean, come on. Yeah, you got a lot of other problems to figure out. <laughs> Why are you listening to this podcast? Why do you even have a computer or phone? <laughs> Go sort some shit out. But the next thing on here is some pretty weird but big news, I guess. There's going to be a novelization of this Halloween, which you think is like, why? Why would they ever do that? But there was actually a novelization of the first movie, and it's pretty damn good. I read the whole thing. I liked it a lot. And this one's coming out October 23rd, and it's written by John Passarella, who is a big horror writer. Uh, And it's only going to be eight bucks, which means it'll probably be just a paperback. But it looks cool. I'm going to buy it. I, I have never read the novelization of the original one. I had no idea there was one until you told me about it. Um, but I, <laughs> I was reading like a Wikipedia blurb on it. It sounds interesting. You get a little bit more uh, introspective look at Michael and kind of the events that lead up to, I guess, the curse that makes right. him such a murderer. So I don't it's know. It's cool because you, you you read the character's thoughts in novelization. Like That's why uh, Star Wars Explained and everything that youtube channel he like goes through and reads the novelizations because you get more insight into what the characters are thinking at certain moments that might not translate so well to like on-screen movies Mm -hmm. so i don't know i don't think it'll be a long book it'll probably be a page turner and it's just a good horror rag to have around right and i mean like you said at eight bucks it's a paperback it'll be easy to kind of throw around um you know own it for posterity yeah and just hold it 
hold it up, frame it above your bed. <laughs> yeah, just on my ceiling <laughs> so I can look up at it. Uh, uh, Halloween 3, though, is getting a soundtrack release from Death Waltz Records, uh, which is a subsidiary of Mondo, I guess, which is a subsidiary of Alamo Drafthouse. It's weird how they distinguish this stuff, but... <laughs> They did a weird trailer thing for this Halloween 3 vinyl, and it's pretty cool. The trailer is very cool, but the vinyl is also very cool. Yeah. I will be buying this. Another orange vinyl, which is always appreciated for a Halloween movie. You can't really do much better than just a solid orange vinyl. No, I mean, it just looks so classic. It just It's just so cool. It sticks out so much more than an all-black vinyl. Yeah, and it comes with three look what looks like to me tarot cards of the masks uh, from Halloween 3, which is awesome there's an ins the insert the inside of the vinyl record has bugs printed on it which if you've seen the movie yeah uh, you know is a pretty cool little reference the packaging and is definitely awesome it is a lot of attention to detail like you said the tarot cards look awesome the vinyl itself looks great it just looks like a really nice collector's piece i would love for this movie to be in 4k i think the steelbook i ordered is only 1080p blu-ray but i only own this movie on dvd so I guess it's an upgrade, but yeah, I would love a, to see this movie in 4K. At least a half step. Yeah. <laughs> Some problems in my life. Uh, I mean, I feel like if the original one sells well and the movie is critically acclaimed, that it'll kind of stir up some more buzz, maybe get the other ones released. I'm sure they're already talking about getting Halloween 2 in 4K, so I don't see why 3 wouldn't be soon to follow. Let's jump into the news, though. Get on some positive stuff. The first <laughs> thing I want to talk about is the Suspiria trailer. Did you watch this? Yeah, this looks awesome. So I did a whole video on it, so I dug into it deep. I didn't realize that all three mothers from the Three Mothers trilogy of Inferno, Mother in Tears, and uh, Suspiria are going to be in this movie. So it is it is going to be a lot different than the original. Yeah, um, just from watching the trailer, it seems like they're going more into uh, developing the kind of witchcraft of the school, delving right. more into the kind of evil that's woven into the walls and the teachers and kind of what's going on like what are the evil influences more so than just uh visually like these crazy off the wall uh insane deaths and visuals yeah um i, I not to say that it's going to ignore those completely but it looks like it's going to be definitely more oh no they they're hiding the all the gore in the trailers yeah so it apparently gets pretty gruesome which I'm excited about. I liked that the ca some of the camera work from the original movie was preserved. Like when Susie's walking into the school and she drops the pamphlet for that says Berlin on it and the camera like, you know, loosely pans down and zooms in. Yeah. It's very handheld. Mm -hmm. That was like a really cool thing in the original that I remember really liking. So I'm glad they're keeping the film style at least the same. And the color palette is great. But did you hear about this stuff with the old man in the trailer that people think tilda swinton is actually playing him too no i hadn't seen anything about that it's weird uh i thought the old man sounded weird kind of feminine when he says mother suspiria at least i was like oh it's feminine and then i saw this story where the guy who's said to be playing him like lutz ebersdorf or something like that is uh it's the only thing he's ever been in people think he, he kind of looks like tilda swinton in makeup but Something that lends credence to that uh, rumor, in my opinion, is the fact that Amazon owns IMDb, which is something that a lot of people don't know. So if they wanted to just, you know, fudge an IMDb page and make one up for an actor, I, they'd be allowed to do it because they own IMDb. I mean, honestly, I think that would just be a cool twist. I'd prefer yeah. not knowing until seeing the movie, you yeah. know? Like, I think that would be an interesting thing that would be kind of surprising 
surprising. I'd prefer if they keep it, you know, a mystery. I do. I I would too. It just because if it's meant for fans to figure out before the movie's out, it's a marketing thing. And I'm just we were talking about this earlier. I'm just getting sick of the whole like woke, self-aware <laughs> entertainment Twitter's thing happening. And I noticed that the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina account was doing it which is a Netflix show, but Archie has been doing it for a while, so I'll give them a pass. It's just, it's old, and it's tired, and you can tell that the people on the other end of it are just kind of venting their frustrations as an agency worker who's running a Twitter. It doesn't feel scummy. I feel like that's a little too far. It just feels, like, cringy. I think cringy is the right word for how it makes me feel. It's like, you're not a person. You're you're <laughs> a corporate entity. Like, come on. Yeah. Wendy's can do it, but you can't. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of like one of those things where, uh, like, one company, I don't know who started it, but, you know, they wanted to make a social media that was more interactive and seemed more human-driven, and then everyone wanted to do that because people kind of noticed it, so it became a, a trend. It's like when a movie account references a meme that's hot. It's oh, just, yeah. It dies, it dies immediately. Dead. It's the same shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just like, stop. Why is Chilling Adventures of Sabrina tweeting in all lowercase and using the letter U instead of Y-O-U? I read the comic book again, and it's a very dark and gothic story about a girl who lives in the 60s who becomes a witch and tries to bring her boyfriend back to life. Her aunts are cannibals, and the witchcraft nature is insane. Like, her dad is turned into a tree by a witch that he scorns. And then the witch comes back to life and burns the tree down. Does that seem like a show that would have an account... Where it's like, you wish you were as cool as me in all lowercase with the letter U instead of Y-O-U. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, pretty tone deaf. But luckily, it seems like Suspiria's uh, marketing isn't doing that. They've really only released a couple trailers. They've been pretty radio silent until they just drop something huge. And they're like, all right, bye. See you in two weeks when we do something else big. So next up here, they recast Zelda in the Pet Cemetery remake. And it's a young actress named Alyssa Brooke Levine. And, you know, I would have gone with Bonnie Ahrens, the lady who's playing the nun. She feels like a great pick for that. Or Javier Botet, the guy who plays the crooked man. And this is just like a normal girl that they're going to put prosthetics on and make her look all weird with her spinal meningitis. Yeah, uh, I don't understand this casting at all. It's really weird. <laughs> because right? I, didn't, I didn't even talk to you about this before. How do you feel about it? It's really weird because in the original, Zelda was played by a male actor and with prosthetics. And she and, was creepy, um, man. I had nightmares yeah, about that. I mean, a genuinely terrifying imagery. Out of everything in Pet Cemetery, I always thought that was the scariest part. The part that sticks with you the longest that, you know, you have nightmares about Zelda, or at least I do, over any of the pets coming back to life or the, the little kid coming back to life or anything like that. I always thought Zelda was so terrifying. This just looks yeah. like just like a young girl, like just a, you know, a normal looking younger girl. I just, I don't know how good the CGI or the practical effects or makeup, whatever they're going to do if it will ever, if it's going to be able to match the, the visuals of the original i just don't see it happening and it's you already have a person who's a kind of contortionist and has long lanky limbs and would fit the role perfectly and that he i don't know it's it's a weird thing to harp on i think for us to do kind of maybe but it just seems like weird casting I am excited for this remake, though, because the cool thing about this new one is that the directors are Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer, I think is his name. Mm -hmm. They're the guys who made directed Starry Eyes. 
Okay, yeah, which is a great movie. That's a great movie, and that's a good group of people to have directing. Uh, but it comes out next April. <sighs> that seems like kind of early, right? I, it doesn't seem like so soon. The I don't know who's making this. Is it Netflix or is it Paramount? I think Paramount. Yeah, Paramount. It, it just seems like they don't have a lot of confidence in it if they're releasing in April. Since usually, like, bottom-of-the-barrel horror movies that don't get released in the good months come out early, court like, Q1. Yeah, they're trying to get it out before it, I think, in September. It just seems That's weird. That's the only thing I can think of, right? Yeah. There's too many goddamn Stephen King movies coming out. <laughs> like, honestly, if it's a remake, just cut it. Just don't make it. <laughs> <laughs> At this but, point, I mean, I, I I think the original has some merit to it. I think there are some creepy uh, visuals, and I think the story is genuinely a pretty interesting plot to follow. I, I I don't think it has aged great. I think people who really like it probably grew up with it and watched it with rose tinted goggles. But I watched it on Fear Fest a lot, and I always liked the TV cut because there were breaks where you could go to the bathroom and like grab a snack and. Mm-hmm. I guess it was just easier to pay attention to a longer movie when I was a kid, but I just I watched it last year, and the third act it just really falls apart, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to really discredit this remake, um, but yeah, we haven't seen anything from it. Yeah, like, we do like the directors. Yeah, I just I was hoping that if they were gonna put Zelda in it, that she would be more terrifying. I mean, not that she couldn't be terrifying, but from this casting, I don't really see it happening. Yeah, me neither. So next up here. We're bringing back an old friend. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise seems to be finding a new home, George. Oh, yeah? Where's it finding its new home at? So Bloody Disgusting says that uh, Legendary Entertainment are trying to get it. And they want to turn it into a series and make more movies. But the weird twist here is that Warner Brothers looks like they're going to distribute Legendary's movies in the future. Since they had success with Kong Skull Island. And it looks like they will again with the new Godzilla movie and Kong vs. Godzilla. Legendary currently has a distribution set up with Universal. And it's not going well. Okay. Because Universal like lost money on it, I guess. And... They feel like they could have made money on Jurassic World regardless of Legendary's involvement. Mm-hmm. So if Legendary ends up at Uni- or ends up at Warner Brothers, that means that Warner Brothers will have the rights for Friday the 13th because the rights for that are supposed to return to Warner Brothers in 2019. That means also they have Nightmare on Elm Street and Leatherface under their banner. So while they're all about creating monster universes like they are with uh, Godzilla and King Kong, that means we could see a monster universe with Freddy, Leatherface, and Jason. That would be pretty awesome. I mean, even if we just got a modern remake of Nightmare and Friday the 13th and, uh, and a new Texas Chainsaw and they were decent, I'd be happy. The cool thing about uh, Texas Chainsaw and Friday the 13th is no one, like, you could get Kane Hodder to come and play Jason, and people would be pretty excited about that, but that's really the only thing you have to do to get people excited. And then with uh, uh, Leatherface, you don't really ever tie any actor specifically to Leatherface. Right. And if they at least brought back uh, Bill Mosley or something from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Devil's Rejects and all that, I think that would build some goodwill with fans. And then Nightmare on Elm Street is tough. Yeah. That's where it gets tough. Nightmare is definitely tough because Robert England was so much the character. Like, he became Freddy in a way that is going to be right. impossible for any other actor to capture. It's a weird combination to be that kind of character. You need to be, like, very expressive and kind of witty, and you can be creepy, and 
it just seems like I don't really know anybody else who could fill those shoes in a decent way. And Robert England's still alive, but the difference between Michael Myers and Freddy, where Michael Myers, <laughs> you can bring back Nick Castle, and it works because he's a guy yeah. who just ages. But Freddy shouldn't age because he's dead. I mean, I could see him, uh, like, let's say, I, if they didn't remake it and they tried to do, like, a continuation and expand on the story, they could have the intro scene be Robert England in the Freddy makeup and everything and have him be like old and decrepit. And then the like Freddy spark gets reunite, you know, relit and all these kids start to be afraid of him. And then he kind of goes from old and like forgotten about to young and ready to kill again. I could see it's like a cameo appearance like that, but he, I don't think he could be Freddy for a whole movie at, at his age. You'd have to find someone who looks and can sound remarkably like Robert England. I would have him be aged because over the years, since we got the last Nightmare on Elm Street, and I would just cut out the remake in the continuity, obviously. I would say that like because Fred, it's been so long since Freddy's been on screen, the fact that he is no longer in kids' minds is like a scary concept Mm -hmm. has made him age because he's kind of in this weird in-between between between hell and earth, you know? Yeah, you could have him kind of pass a torch to somebody else. Yeah, but how do you pass the torch to, like, another mur... Like, it'd be really tough to find someone else to pick up that torch. I I mean, that's definitely going to be messy. That's definitely the hardest one to do. They could end the franchise and have him just finally die... But that that sucks. You don't want that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the worst part about what they did with Freddy in the remake was just that the CGI effects for his face look so terrible. Yeah, that, totally. It looks so bad. Yeah, I mean, it just looks terrible. It just You need to do practical, like a physical prosthetic. You can't CGI a Freddy face on somebody. You can't do it. So it, it definitely needs to go back to that and maybe be... Totally. Uh, you know kind of hold back on the really crazy out there things with CGI and kind of keep it a little more grounded so you get these really kind of gruesome practical effects scenes if you were to remake it and have, you know, the kids kill, dying in all these really crazy ways. Because, I mean, even in the early ones, you know, one, two, three, four. Remember uh, Nightmare 4 when that one girl gets fed, overfed till she blows up? Yeah. And it's just like that disgusting, huge prosthetic skin and, like... That one's like gross. Not and everything like uh, and sweaty. I mean, it's just was like that it's looks gross. so and much better. And the cockroach better. one, though, dude. The cockroach one the where cockroach he turns the girl one. into a bug and yeah. kills her. That one's gross. And then the one where uh, he makes the person bench and then pushes down the oh, bar yeah. and their arms <laughs> break. Snaps his arm backwards. But all those were practical effects, and they still hold right. up today because they look so realistic and so disgusting. And I think those are like burned into my head. Right, and, and I think with modern technology, you can do that and add a little bit of CGI here and there just to kind of blend the edges a bit. And you it, know who could play a really good Freddy? Who? Nathan Fielder. <laughs> <laughs> I think he could do it. You know, because like, if you look at Nightmare on Elm Street 1, Freddy is like a lanky, he's really lanky. You know, he's just like a guy in a sweater with the knife thing. Yeah. But the, the thing is that makes him cool is that he's funny. You know, he's... <laughs> Robert England is funny, right? And he's the same kind of funny as like Nathan Fielder, where it's kind of abstract, 
It's like sort of dry and it's like kind of yeah, like, like original Freddy. I'm talking about. I know like yeah. as it went on, he got more like. I mean, by and... by like six, he's basically a, a Acme cartoon character, but. But the it, I think it would work because if you like look at Nathan Fielder's stuff. It's like he's dry in his humor, but the situation, like the way his comedy works, is he puts himself in ridiculous situations. Right. You know. Yeah. But he remains a dry com- like comedian. Right. He's the straight man to whatever's going on. And I think it's hard to think of him being mean. You know, coming off mean like Freddy, but I think it's just because we haven't seen it. I mean, that that is definitely interesting cast. I- I'm on board with it. I like it because it's outside the box. And he kind of has that face, you know, like his, he doesn't look like Robert England, I guess. Like Robert, Robert England is a little more chiseled. Mm-hmm. I think he's a better looking guy. No offense, Nathan, for you. <laughs> but I don't know. I think that could work. If you would, I honestly think you have to use a comedian. Like you, uh, it, the it, thing it, is, it's like David Gordon Green, you know, like I think comedy is like this untapped pool of resources for the horror genre. Well, cause like <laughs> you, you can't teach somebody to be funny like that. Like they kind of right. need to naturally have that as part of their personality and, as they are as an actor so i agree that they definitely need to have someone who maybe is not 100 percent a comedian but is funny for sure and has been in things as uh you know and makes jokes i don't think you could yeah and that i mean that was also one of the issues with the remake was uh they got the guy who played rorschach in watchman i forgot the guy's name uh i don't know but he, he just played it 100 percent serious they went no jokes no nothing i mean no nonsense they just made him evil and I mean that that could work for these other slasher villains, but I think that doesn't work for Freddy since his DNA after like the second movie has been basically that it's fifty percent horror, fifty percent comedy. I I think that makes it more memorable than it just being another slasher movie. I totally agree. And you know who I would have direct it? Who? Fucking Taiko Itt. Oh my god, that would actually be a, a great director for this project. <laughs> that's what i'm saying dude yeah because you see like, the things that he does and like uh what we do in the shadows and the trailers for we're wolves and i think if he kind of obviously made it a little more serious and because those are like straight up comedies and if he made yeah. them kind of you know oh, keep, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. W- he would have to play it serious like more <sighs> basically what he did to thor in ragnarok where it was these movies that just like were too serious needed some levity so it's like keeps the same bones but it's like has good funny moments throughout and is like directed yeah. with that kind of comedic eye and i think yeah, that would right. be what that series would need i mean you can't go zany comedian you can't go like uh like conan o'brien <laughs> can't do that you know right that, that's too much but yeah, you couldn't do like you couldn't do eric andre <laughs> you could but... well maybe like a 90s jim carrey could do it oh yeah jim carrey would kill it I think even now he would kill it. He's nuts, dude. He's yeah, fucking crazy. He's legitimately crazy. Maybe get Jim Carrey in there. He's got some like vendetta now against killing in movies or something, so I don't think he'd do it, but like I think he'd do a good job. Yeah, I think he's like one of those actors that's super expressive and kind of knows how to work the room in a way that would be necessary to be the new Freddy. But then again, <laughs> he's pretty old too, so it's not like he could be doing it for 10, 15 years. And uh, I think the main character is Joe Keery. Yeah, I, think I mean, he has to be one of the teens. Like, no question, Joe Keery's got to be in it. He could be the uh, the Johnny Depp surrogate if they remake it. Yeah, totally. It'd be really hard to do it right, but if they did it right, it would be awesome. It's definitely a very high risk-reward system. If they can nail it, 
people will be like, oh my god, I can't believe they did it. And if they fail, everyone's going to be like, well, it's just another really shitty remake. So they really don't have anything to lose. Yeah, totally. I don't know how we got on this topic, but I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was pretty productive. But anyways, Predator, it turns out, as if anyone will be surprised by this, is rated R. For strong, bloody violence, language throughout, and crude sexual references. And back last year, Shane Black, the director, tweeted out, PG-13 is for pussies. Spines bleed. A lot. So, <laughs> I'm so, I don't know, dude. I'm turning around on this. I didn't realize that Fred Decker was writing it. Mm-hmm. He's the guy behind uh, one of my favorite movies ever, Night of the Creeps. Yeah, which is, I, I also do love that movie. And it's out sooner than I thought. I mean, that's two, three weeks away. Yeah, I'm seeing it September 10th, so hopefully the embargo is lifted the 11th when Fear Frequency drops, and we'll be able to talk about it before it comes out on the show a little bit. But I don't know. It looks... I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, you know, Predator, I Predator, mean, I feel like they have the chance to do it right. Yeah, like, like you said, it's not really a shocker that it's rated R, because if they were going to do it right, it has to be rated R. I mean, you can't have a Predator yeah. and cut away on all the violence. It just... Yeah, like like Venom is doing. Right. I mean, that's that would be the wrong way to do it, is to spit spit in the faces of everybody that built up your franchise. <laughs> yeah. Venom is looks so bad because the director and Tom Hardy are both out there like, hey, we shot this to be rated R. Like, we shot Venom biting people's heads off and shit. Like, if it comes out PG-13, that wasn't us, just so you know. <laughs> so when... When you've got people like when Jason Statham and stuff were talking shit about the Meg before it came out for not being rated R, it's not a good sign. It, it is weird that there was that, that recent trend where, I mean, even, I know they want these, like a lot of these movies to be for teenage audiences and they want, like, teenagers to go see them, but at the same time, like, what, every Purge movie they make rated R and that makes way Deadpool's more money. rated R. Yeah. Logan was rated R. I mean... Like, Come on, dude. It's Venom. <laughs> right. Like, people are gonna see it. It's not like it'll... Like, yeah, more 13 to 18-year-olds can see it, but at the same time, like, they're gonna go see it anyway. You know how many, like, 5 to 12-year-olds got to go see Deadpool opening weekend? Yeah, so many. Kid, p- parents will bring their kids to that shit. Yeah. And then the parent has to be there, so that's another ticket sold for you. I'm glad that it's rated R, because it it shows that they're like, yep, we're just going to put it all in there. Spines bleed a lot, so it's going to be definitely a gore fest. Uh, It sounds like the reshoots probably went pretty well. It sounds like they got some of the kinks ironed out, but I'm definitely excited for it. I was very, very iffy after that first trailer, but I'm, I'm getting more and more excited for it as the days go on. Right, me too. I don't know. I'm I'm excited for it. I, I just have no concept of what of there's no barometer of quality in my head for this movie because it's it's all over the place. Like it, it was apparently bad and kind of goofy. Then it got reshoots that uh, 20th Century Fox was like, "Go nuts, dude! Have fun with these reshoots. Do whatever you want." A lot of the comedy apparently is really good. The gore is apparently really good. It's just there's so much stuff coming out about it that it's hard to get a gauge on whether or not it's going to be good. So I'm excited to just see it. Yeah, just to kind of, you know, <laughs> like be able to experience it. it and form an opinion at that point. <laughs> yeah, but next up on here, back at Gamescom, which, side note, Gamescom felt really small this year. Like, no one cared about it, but there was new Resident Evil 2 gameplay that finally showed off Claire, and we also got a pretty good glimpse at William Birkin with the big fucking eyeball shoulder, and 
it looks good, dude. I don't really have much to say about it. Yeah, um, definitely. I thought this trailer looked really awesome. I can't wait for this game. I like that it's definitely taking a page out of RE7's book, where it's keeping the horror roots of the franchise as the forefront, at least for the early sections that we're seeing. And, you know, kind of sticking to making it scary. We're back to the real zombies. We're back to, you know, Leon as the main character. So it seems like everything that's in this game is setting up to be pretty good. Yeah, I downloaded Revelations 2 to play it on my plane to Boston. And I played a whole bunch of it. That game just... Story just sucks, dude. It's so bad. <laughs> it's just so bad. It's so magnetic and just craptastic that I'm glad that they're finally getting it right. It feels like mixing the gameplay style of Resident Evil 4 with the graphics and feel of Resident Evil 7 was a good move. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is def. I mean, if we don't get another uh, Evil Within, then I think this is probably going to be the best uh, spiritual successor to Halloween or Halloween Resident Evil 4. <laughs> I don't think an Evil Within sequel is too far out of the realm of possibility because uh, Bethesda is a private company still. They're, they're not public, so they can afford to take some misses, you know? Yeah. And I feel like they're not afraid to finish out a series for their fans. Yeah, for sure. And I think there are at least a, a decent core group. There's dozens of us that really liked Resident Evil or uh, Evil Within 2. At least 15 of us. At least 15 of us. <laughs> it's a great game but <laughs> next up on here netflix announced today that they are doing a 10 episode series remake of the haunting of hill house this is a really bad title but it's a 10 episode series that's directed by mike flanagan who did hush oculus ouija origin of evil before i wake and gerald's game and of course he's bringing back carlo Gugino and all of his mainstays i think even lulu wilson is in this movie but um the Twitter account is doing the shit that I just bitched about 20 minutes ago, which really bothers me. But the actual picture of the house they released is pretty cool. I feel like I feel like I've read the the original story, The Haunting of Hill House. I at least got really? it on Audible. I don't know if I ever finished it, but uh, <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Was it good? Yeah, I mean it's an interesting story. It's um, you know it's just like a classic, like the original haunted house story. So I mean I'm excited for it. I don't. I know. I mean, we it's were on kinda, Netflix. Yeah, it's a Netflix movie, which there haven't been too many. It's a show. It's a show. episode show. Yeah. Which is which, also kind of weird. Which is all, yeah, I don't really get that because it's like, <laughs> you're really stretching. Like, I don't get the idea of taking something that was originally a movie and stretching it out to a whole show. I think that that kind of, unless there's a lot of ideas that are unexplored, you can't really stretch it out to 10 right. episodes, 10 hours. You can't make 10 movies out of one movie. There's just not right. enough material to go around. And Yeah, you could do that with, like, Stephen King books, because they're all longer than the Bible, but... Yeah. Like, and, I mean, Mike Flanagan, he has a few... Um, like, Hush is pretty good. Uh, it just... I'm not going to, like, speak, because <laughs> I keep making people mad every time I talk about it. I mean... I think we were talking about him a couple weeks ago, and we are just saying that he doesn't feel like he has a lot of voice as a director. He just seems like he kind of directly takes what's ever on the page and makes that into the movie, or the show in this case, but... Yeah. um, There's no voice. It's just soulless, is what I think I said. (laughs) (laughs) But I... 
I don't know. I mean, it could be interesting. I think I think it'd be better as a movie. I think it'd be better as like a hour and a half haunted house movie rather than a ten part show. I don't know. <laughs> a complex family drama wrapped in a chilling horror story. That sounds great. Right. I don't fucking care about this weird family. Like, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, dude. It's like, <laughs> so what? <laughs> you can't make like. A family drama and put it in a haunted house and call it like the reimagining of this classic horror story. Like, <laughs> that's why I don't like American Horror Story. The season one is this. It's, it's a 10 episode. I think season one of American Horror Story, it's only like 21 episodes, I want to say, which is insane. <laughs> and it was like just nothing. It was stupid. Nothing happens in it. It's just a bunch of people bitching and moaning about nothing. And they're like, oh, my house is haunted. Oh, there's like an old lady who lives here, but sometimes she's hot. Ooh, like, oh, maybe Tyson Farmiga's a ghost the whole time. What a twist. You gotta stick around for 19 more episodes to find that one out, though. It's like, ah, dude, I don't know. Like, how long How long can a house be haunted? And I mean, aren't the ghosts just gonna get bored of this family or whatever? I mean, I don't really get... <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get why this would be a TV show. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I want to think like that was a typo on the Bloody Disgusting article and it's not a 10-episode series, but why? that's oddly specific. A group of siblings who as children grew up. Okay, so it's like a bunch of kids, siblings, get together and they're forced Great. to go back to face the tragedy of this house. So like... Sounds like it. Yeah, you gotta make an adult bad. it with worse characters because they're not kids. Like, who cares? <laughs> so it seems like a bad idea. <laughs> It does. <laughs> Why didn't they release a trailer today? Why did they just release like six images? Isn't that the most bizarre way to announce something that comes out in a little over a month? <laughs> like what? I just don't get it. It's, it's weird. It's definitely really weird. I guess this is them trying to fill in. They're not having Stranger Things for October, maybe. And they want some kind of horror-themed show that's their own to be in October. So... They stealth made this and released it. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine it's great, but it's something, I guess. Their stuff has just been fucking. It's extremely, extremely trash hit or lately, miss, dude. Mostly miss. It's just bad. <laughs> Stupid. I don't know. It's like the pictures look okay. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I could be proved wrong. Maybe I'll be eating my own words when the show comes out, but who knows? Didn't work for 13 Ghosts. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That never became a show. I just mean that movie sucks. It has Monk in it. <laughs> that Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> Next up on here, I have some good news for you, George. Yeah. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Hit me with it. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark has started filming, and the coolest part about this movie is that Andre Ovradal is directing it, and Guillermo del Toro is producing. And that guy, Andre Ovradal directed troll hunter and the autopsy of jane doe yeah i really like both those movies um troll hunter was definitely a sleeper hit in the sense that i had no idea what to expect from it being, <laughs> but then it was awesome yeah it was like a swedish subtitled yeti movie i mean it was awesome it, it had great action great characters the setting looked amazing and autopsy of jane doe also was such an intriguing story that kind of unwinds as it goes just great storytelling throughout both of those and that is definitely the main piece you need for a scary stories to tell in the dark movie to have someone with a strong vision and storytelling 
to be able to kind of go through these in hopefully uh, an anthology style. Uh, you know what else was cool about Troll Hunter? It was comedians. It was all like Icelandic comedians. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm totally down for this. I think that is a great director to put in, you know, to kind of oversee everything. And I think, I mean, Del Toro producing is cool. I don't really know how much say producers have, but... Yeah, like, I don't really care. I, I like his stuff. I get that he's, like, a master of horror movies and everything. I just, like, the big story to me here is that the guy who made The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which is almost a perfect horror movie, in my opinion, is directing. And that's getting completely overshadowed by the producer, which, like... It's, I don't know, that just seems kind of weird to me. It's, it's like, every article about the movie, too, is, like, uh, what's his name? Um, Guillermo del Toro's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It's, like, that's not his movie. He's producing it. Right. Give the director some credit. <laughs> like, the guy earned it. Right, I mean, it, it would be one thing if it was, like, an unknown director that had never made anything before. And so you put the big name on there that is, you know, very synonymous, just won an Oscar. And so you want people to think that, you know, that's obviously a mark of quality. But, I mean, I don't think that uh, Overdahl is anything to, you know, to laugh at. I think he's a great director in his own right, and he deserves to kind of, you know, be recognized for that. I don't know. It was kind of hard to find his name in articles and stuff, and I just kind of feel bad for the guy. Right. He's not going to get any credit for this movie if it really turns out awesome, which I think it probably will because that's a cool story. And uh, Scott Wampler over at Birth Movies Death said, my number one question about scary stories to tell in the dark is, are they going to preserve the look of Stephen Gamel's legendary illustrations for the various creature designs in the film? I do not expect real Guillermo del Toro to answer this. And he answered it and he said, yes. So... The monsters are going to look like the drawings in the book, which is pretty damn cool. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely super haunting images, incredibly creepy. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what that looks like translated to screen. I think it'd be funny if it was just like a PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> like halfway through, they just show like a hundred slides of pictures. No, the whole movie is a PowerPoint and they have like people play the characters in the stories. But you just hear their voices. <laughs> they just read over a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, it just shows the images from the book. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so funny? <laughs> that would be definitely something no one would expect. <laughs> it's just like an audio book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, the last news story I have for you guys today is that we got some details on the plot of the new Chucky movie. And according to comicbook.com, The new Chucky is a defective buddy doll whose programming code was hacked so that he has no limitations to learning and also violence. And apparently it gets reprogrammed at the Chinese factory it comes from by a worker who reprograms it and commits suicide. Just call it like... Wish Upon 2. Wish Upon 2. Call it anything. I mean, it just seems like they were able to get the Chucky name so they're going to put it on their haunted doll movie that they wanted to make. I mean, How long until Joey King is cast in this movie, along I mean, with Bella Thorne? That's I mean, all I want to know. <laughs> call it small. Make it a small soldiers remake at this point. Come on. I mean, small it's, monkey John Deere the movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't. I just don't think this is going to be any good. I don't. I don't understand the has no limitations to learning and also violence. Why would those two things be put together? <laughs> Why would you make a doll that can learn and also kill things? Makes no sense. Why did why did you have to limit either of those things? <laughs> why why, why did like, you create a product that would ever become smart enough? 
Like, even had the chance to become that smart. You're like, all right, we'll leave us learning at a 10, but we'll leave us valid. How is it affordable? How can anyone afford it? (laughs) You've obviously created, like, a fucking human being in a computer, (laughs) and you're just going to sell it as a toy? I don't know, man. This just seems like a really bad idea. (laughs) Bad plot. It's just embarrassing for MGM, too. Like, you've got all this goodwill on Neil Blomkamp remaking RoboCop or making a sequel to RoboCop and all this stuff. And then he's got to deal with these chuckle fucks in the background (laughs) working on this garbage that no one is going to like. This movie could be fucking Citizen Kane 2 and people would hate it. You just burn bridges by making it. Horror fans are hard to please, that's for sure. And and this just does not sound appealing. (laughs) Okay, so George, we're going to take a break here and then we're going to talk about possibly one of the worst movies ever made. We're back from our quick break, and today we're going to be talking about something a little different. So I just watched both cuts of Halloween 6 for my video I did on the movie, and I realized that George and I have never had a conversation about this because I've never actually seen Halloween 6 until recently. (laughs) So I thought it'd be fun if we talked about the differences in the two cuts and like which one we think is better and why we think this movie doesn't work. I mean, I, I think I hadn't seen the producer's cut until just maybe last year, the year before. But, oh, really? Yeah, I hadn't seen the producer's cut until um, we watched it at, like, a, one of the get-togethers at one of my friend's houses. And so I'd only seen the, like, bits of the theatrical cut on the Fear Fest and also, uh, like, I think I'd watched it at some point in, like, a marathon setting. But, um, so I watched the producer's cut just, like, a year or two ago and was kind of blown away by how bad it was. Like, yeah, people really like it. That's those are there are a lot of people in the comments of my review of Halloween Six that are like really upset that I think the theatrical cut is better. It definitely has a huge following for some reason. I think that it basically, I think there are bits of the producer's cut that are interesting. That I get why people like. I guess some of the plot elements. I mean the. The whole druid cult thing is much more prominent in the producer's cut, which is a cool yeah. concept, obviously, to have kind it's of It's cool when you don't... It's cool when you think about it, like, that stuff tying in, because it tied in in Halloween 3, right? And that was great, right. but yeah. the costumes and the set design and just the way they enact it is pretty fucking bad. Yeah, and, um, ah, like, I think tying it to the whole astrological science thing is kind of lame. Like, I don't really... I agree. It just doesn't... It doesn't make sense. Because Tommy says, oh, uh, Michael wakes up whenever the constellation aligns in the sky on a random Halloween night. But that's weird. So it only showed up in 1978, and then... But it showed up two years in a row in 1988 and 1989, and then again in 1995. That's just a weird way to explain it, honestly. And it's... I mean, what's so wrong with him just being a ruthless killer? Like, why does it have to be tied to that? I yeah, got, the I, Cinemassacre review talked about that, like how he's a pawn in the producer's cut for the yeah, cult. Definitely. And it's like, that is so dumb. That is so fucking stupid. That just minimizes Michael Myers, and it maximizes uh, Dr. Wynn, who, 
that movie relies so heavily on making callbacks to the original movie that it's like, come on, like, just stop. It's embarrassing. They're like, oh, remember Dr. Wynn? He showed up for two frames. Oh, remember when Michael tilts his head? Wasn't that awesome <laughs> after he stabbed the guy into the cabinet? Well, this time he's going to put a lady's head through a spike and do the same thing. It's like, it's just tired, like, at that point, I think. Like, I could feel the exhaustion of Michael Myers in this movie watching it in 2018, but it came out in 1995. Right. I mean, and that was during like the midst of everything when we had, when there were a Halloween movie coming out almost every year. And yeah. Like you might've been sick of it, but this one just has that feeling of like, they really just completely ran out of steam at this point. And I, there's a whole plot cuts. line with Jamie and the, her kid. She has a child, which is fucked up. They got an older girl to play her. But if you're doing the math that this movie follows, she's only 15 at the beginning of this movie. So that's fucked up on its own. That happens in either cut. But in the producer's cut, Michael rapes her and he's the dad, which is just like so gross. And I get that people say like, oh, it was a different time. Like that might have been okay. 1995 was not that long ago. And whoever came up with the idea to have Michael rape his 15 year old niece to get her pregnant. I don't care if he's a pawn or not. That's just scummy and disgusting. Uh, also, uh, like you made a mention of this in your video, and it makes sense in general. If the whole plot of the Halloween Six is to like the end Michael Myers' bloodline, why would he make a child? Right. If he's trying to kill his whole family, <laughs> and it? then they try and have Danny Strode, which someone else got mad that I said this, but Danny Strode kind of. They make it look like he's going to take the mantle of Michael Myers. Because they come up with this whole thing that the curse of the thorn is from a demon that brought about famine and sickness. So if one person that was afflicted with the curse killed their entire bloodline whenever the constellation aligned, it would end the curse. But how many tries does Michael Myers get? He's failed every single time to kill his bloodline. And there's no famine. There's no sickness. So obviously the cult's beliefs are wrong. And it doesn't explain that. And then why would Danny become the next Michael Myers? Michael hasn't killed his entire bloodline. He's created it. He's created more of his bloodline. And then so they try and do this thing where they have Danny kill the baby but to become the next Michael. But Michael's still alive. Yeah. So why I, would Danny have the curse? It's dumb. It's just the, the plot's definitely really not well thought out. And even uh, if you watch like the that documentary series on 4, 5, and 6... They yeah, that's say, like the last 10 minutes, right? Is six? Yeah. Um, Just like, oh yeah, this is a crazy movie. It sucks. Bye. Like, uh, they were saying that basically during the production of five, they wanted, the uh, company wanted like something that would lead to a, another sequel. So, oh, and you can tell. So they put the man in black, just like sprinkle him in Halloween five here and there, right. but had no plan of who he was what what his overarching plot was, what he was going to do, you know, anything. They hadn't thought about what he was going to be at all, but it was a way to leave it open-ended so they could make a sequel. And it just, that's how it feels. It feels like this just was a bunch of ideas they threw at a wall and tried to make him stick. It just is like, uh, let's take the uh, Druidic cult from Halloween 3. It's like a bunch of Halloween 1 references. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's bring back, um, you know... Uh, the kid from the first movie and make him Paul Rudd, who is God, somehow even... incredibly unlikable in this movie. Even He's though so it's Paul creepy. Rudd. <laughs> Dude, do you see that shot I put in my video when they're driving down the street and there's yeah. like a full body yeah, window in his house. Yeah, he has a house. window from He's head to toe. standing there. <laughs> 
it's like, and they don't even try. Like I get that in Halloween one, I guess it's acceptable that there's a couple palm trees because they were working with like $15 and a dime. Yeah. But like this movie had a budget and they fucking don't even try to hide the mountains of Utah. Why are they still filming in Utah? Just film it in the Midwest for God's sake. Like why is it so hard? Like why is Utah this haven for the Halloween thorn trilogy? They're like, oh, we got to keep the continuity of how everything looks. Well, it doesn't look anything like Halloween 4 or 5, so they failed there big time. But it does have a fall look. Like, there's actual trees with leaves on them that are changing colors, which I guess is cool. Yeah, I mean, it does that probably better than any other of the Halloween movies, It feeling like it is taking place on on Halloween, like, in autumn. Um, There's just too many characters. Yeah, I mean, it really gets super muddy with... The family, the adoptive Strode family, the... Yeah. And, like, really the best parts of the producer's cut are that there's more Dr. Loomis in it, who is always a highlight, always great as... Yeah, you know, and he's, just, he's good. He's good in it. He's, I mean, you, he's good in the movie. It, I mean, it's sad that it's near the end of his life, but you can tell he was still giving 100% in his performance. Donald Pleasant still has a bunch of, like, long monologues about how Michael is pure evil incarnate and all this stuff and mm-hmm. i mean i always love hearing that because it's just like you know like he's so tired of this movie like he's just like oh i gotta do this like for the hundredth yeah. time like talk funny about michael but Meyer. to give him credit dude they show him in retirement he's happy he's writing on his typewriter he's got a bar in his house but then as soon as he hears that radio broadcast from jamie he's like up he's like i'm ready to go i'm gonna go fucking find him right and i mean that just says a lot about his his character as like you know, he really is the the Van Helsing to the Dracula in this series where, you know, he doesn't feel like his job is done until the monster is dead. So, it, it, I mean, he's, he is really good and there's more of him in the producer's cut than there is in the theatrical cut. So There's like is, none of him in the theatrical cut. He's like almost removed entirely. Yeah. Um, but I still think it's better because it cuts out a lot of the meandering bullshit that is existent in the producer's cut. It's also way more gory. Yeah, there's, there's a lot a, more. There's kills. a lot more great kills. Um, maybe not great kills, but there's more of them. Like uh, uh, the head explosion. The head explosion great. is a great kill, and I mean, it feels like how could you ever omit that? Like, why would that ever not yeah. be in the the first run? Because not only do you make that character a huge asshole, it's like he doesn't even get his comeuppance <laughs> in the producer's cut. Like he gets nothing. It's just like, all yeah. right, I guess he's just a dick. <laughs> That that whole the whole new Strode family thing is just so dumb. Like they moved into this house that's been vacant for how many years, and it's because Lori's adoptive dad couldn't sell the house, so he just he sold it to his brother. His brother moved right in with his weird family. Why are they even a part of this movie? They they, they don't belong. the The whole plot of this movie should have been they remove the pregnancy. Just get yeah. fucking get rid of that. Get fifteen year old. Uh, What's her name? Danielle Harris. Have her be in the movie. Make it look like... like Show her getting kidnapped at the end of Halloween 5. Make it look like this cult's been holding her captive for the prime time. You could have kept even the, the consolation thing in there, I guess. Because even as stupid yeah, could, as that is. You could kind of throw in that how like some timing elements. Like, yeah. It's right on this month. Michael's because... got to kill the bloodline whenever... The Constellation Alliance, so they're or even he has Jamie. to just like make a X amount of sacrifices on this yeah. day to keep like, or to summon this ultimate evil or something. I mean, you can do, you can you can incorporate that in a way that's better executed than what they did. Or like the reason they kidnap Jamie is because she's making Michael mortal. 
that's why he went into a coma between Halloween 4 and 5. So they kidnap her and have to wait till the constellation aligns so they can kill her and make Michael immortal again. And then Jamie escapes at the beginning of the movie without a baby because she's fucking 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Then Paul Rudd can still be in it and he's written better and told to act better. And he <laughs> he could still be that character who's like kind of fucked up from the original movie and he happens across Jamie and then it's him, Dr. Loomis, trying to protect Jamie for the rest of the movie and then there's like a final confrontation with Michael and he doesn't succeed. There you go. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, mean, I think that'd be a lot better. Right. I mean, that just, that would make sense. It just seems like there wasn't a lot of oh prep for this movie. They just, it was definitely was a cash grab. They wanted to... Yeah, they to, only had six years. <laughs> I mean, they just really wanted to make make money off of it and they knew Michael Myers was a ticket seller so you know they sprinkle in this man in black and they're like I guess we'll just kind of mush him in there and see what happens um the producer cut also <laughs> Michael gets stopped by a very short incantation or a bunch of stones on the ground that Tommy Doyle puts down there's, there's no incantation he makes a circle wipes <laughs> some blood on the ground then Michael chokes him and is like he's like Sawin or he's like Sam Hain and then Michael drops him, and that's it. It's I, like, what? I mean, both endings to Michael are unsatisfying. In that, in the producer's cut, when um, you know, we find out that it wasn't actually Michael being stopped; it was Win, and Win kind of passes the torch onto Loomis to being like forever bound to Michael by the thorn symbol, I guess. Yeah. And Michael walks free. He escapes in the Man in Black's clothing. Um, I mean that. That is just kind of like unsatisfying because what do we even really get to see him do in the producer's cut other than just kind of walk around? And, yeah, um, right. So who cares? And then in the theatrical cut, he they fill him with a bunch of like nuclear green, it almost looks like a reanimator poison, and beat yeah, what the is shit that out supposed of him to be? with a pipe, and he starts bleeding green out of his eyes and his mask, and <laughs> and it's just like all right, I. Like Tommy Doyle just beats the shit out of Michael Myers. So that's that's how we put put him down, I guess. It's so dumb. Why it, does he name the baby Steven? <laughs> I don't know. There's so many weird scenes where he's just like looking at the baby. And he's like, "Your name's gonna be Steven." <laughs> I don't know. Who that, cares? That it's was not like your baby. An an effort to make him a more well-rounded character and try to add a little bit of like flavor to him to. I don't know. I it just seems like it wasn't well planned. Both cuts are pretty garbage. Um, I think there's like, a, at least the kills are pretty watchable in the theatrical cut. Um, but other than that, I think the producer's cut. I, I mean, I think you should probably see both if you're a Halloween fan, just to kind of get the full story, the full picture. Either way, but uh, I I think Halloween Six is definitely uh, one of the weakest entries in the series. In both cuts. Yeah, when I was making my video on it, the reason I went with the producer's cut and then talked about the changes for the theatrical cut was because the producer's cut's the original cut of the movie. That's the original version. Right, so I was like, right. well, I'll go with that. But I think the theatrical one works better, but it's still not good by any means. The best thing about the entire damn movie is that they had those sweet leaf bags that have jack-o'-lantern faces on them on people's lawns. And we get that I used unf- to love those when I was a kid. <laughs> we get that unforgettable line from uh, the new Strode guy who gets his head blown up. Enough of this Michael Myers bullshit. <laughs> yeah. As he chops so down the Michael Myers sign on his front lawn. And it's it's funny because it's so like... so evil. 
at that point, you're you feel just like he does. Like you're just like enough, enough's enough. It's yeah. Time to end it. And it only gets worse from there, though. Yeah, I mean, somehow the I other guess. movies. I don't know. H twenty is better, I guess, but I don't, I, I don't like that. H twenty is better. Um, uh, what's the other one? Resurrection. Is, Resurrection is sucks. definitely campier. There's definitely some funnier moments to that one. There's there's bits and pieces that you can kind of laugh at, which I guess, and it had kind of an interesting plot with the different POV cameras throughout the house and all that. But right. Um, I mean, at least that one tried something different. This one was just like a really tired, poorly thought out attempt to add to the series. So I, I don't know. I don't really. <laughs> I'm not a fan of this movie personally. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't even. I don't even have the benefit of having seen it when I was a kid. I just like didn't like it. It's just stupid. Just dumb. The mask also looks terrible. Just yeah, they, point they out. do the same thing in uh, that they did in five, where the collar the mask is sticking out the whole time yeah why do they it's do not that? like tucked why into is his jumpsuit suit? gray it didn't get anything right <laughs> i mean the mask isn't the worst mask in the whole series i think that um, but they never got it right after the first movie so that's like yeah compared to the first movie it's okay but like it doesn't really have much competition honestly they've never right. gotten it right <laughs> the only one that gets it right after that is rob zombie yeah i mean that is that is a really good mask in that one it's just like it's weird that something that should be so easy that they literally threw together, like, with zero budget in the first movie, can never be replicated ever again for some reason. Hopefully Halloween 2018 is good. We will find out on October 4th when we're in Salem. Oh, I can't wait. I don't really have anything else to say about Halloween 6. I mean, like, I poured a lot of time into it already. <laughs> and I'm, I'm good to just jettison that whole boat in my memory out into space and just forget about it yeah i mean for for me personally the only ones the only halloween movies that i own on blu-ray are one through four and i think that is that's pretty much yeah where i where i have that's all i want those are the only ones i like to watch (laughs) like on like every year yeah totally four is good four holds up four is like a happy accident almost four definitely has a lot of good elements about it i mean it's not a perfect movie by any stretch but there's uh there's there's a lot to like about it yeah and three is a 10 out of 10 yeah so um that's that's i i if it were me i would just leave it at at those four those are the ones that i watch um annually but uh i i don't even bother with five i think five is pretty much a trash bag also six is no good and resurrection and h20 aren't aren't that great either no there's whatever it's pretty bad but that's gonna episode 43 of your frequency guys george you have any closing remarks for the listeners uh just as always come back next week for more horror news and reviews and you never know who might be listening